Chapter 26 of At the Time Appointed This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. At the time appointed by A. Maynard Barbour. Chapter 26. John Britton's Story. Evening found Darrell and his friend seated on the rocks, watching the sunset. Mr. Britton was unusually silent, and Darrell, through a sort of intuitive sympathy, refrained from breaking the silence. At last, as the glow was fading from the earth and sky, Mr. Britton said, I have chosen this day and this hour to tell you my story, because, being the anniversary of my wedding, it seems peculiarly appropriate. Twenty-eight years ago, at sunset, on such a royal day as this, we were married, my love and I. He spoke with an unnatural calmness, as though it were another's story he was telling. I was young, with a decided aptitude for commercial life, ambitious, determined to make my way in life, but with little capital besides sound health and a good education. She was the daughter of a wealthy man. We speak in this country of mining kings. He might be denominated as an agricultural king. He prided himself upon his hundreds of fertile acres, his miles of forest, his immense dairy, his blooded horses, his magnificent barns and granaries, his beautiful home. She was the younger daughter, his especial pet and pride. For a while, as a friend and acquaintance of the, his two daughters, I was welcomed at his home. Later, as a lover of the younger, I was banished and its doors closed against me. Our love was no foolish boy and girl romance, and we had no word of kindly counsel, only unreasoning, stubborn opposition. What followed was only what might have been expected. Strong in our love for and trust in each other, we went to a neighboring village, and, going to a little country parsonage, were married without thought of the madness, the folly of what we were doing. We found the minister and his family seated outside the house under a sort of arbor of flowering shrubs, and I remember it was her wish that the ceremony be performed there. Never can I forget her as she stood there, her hands trembling in mine at the strangeness of the situation, her cheeks flushed with excitement, her lips quivering as she made the responses the slanting sunbeams kissing her hair and brow and the fragrant snowy petals of the mock orange falling about her. A few weeks of unalloyed happiness followed, then gradually my eyes were open to the wrong I had done her. My heart smote me as I saw her, day by day, performing household tasks to which she was unaccustomed, subjected to petty trials and privations, denying herself in many little ways in order to help me. 
She never murmured, but her very fortitude and cheerfulness were a constant reproach to me. But a few months elapsed when we found that another was coming to share our home and our love. We rejoiced together, but my heart reproached me more bitterly than ever, as I realized how ill-prepared she was for what awaited her. Our trials and privations brought us only closer to each other, but my brain was racked with anxiety and my heart bled as day by day I saw the dawning motherhood in her eyes. The growing tenderness, the look of sweet, wondering expectancy. I grew desperate. From a booming western city came reports of marvelous openings for businessmen, of small investments bringing swift and large returns. I placed my wife in the care of a good motherly woman and bade her goodbye, while she, brave heart, without a tear, bade me Godspeed. I went there determined to win, to make a home to which I would bring both wife and child later. For three months I made money, sending half to her and investing every cent which I did not absolutely need of the other half. Then came tales from the mining district still further west of fabulous fortunes made in a month, a week, sometimes a day. What was the use of dallying where I was? I hastened to the mining camp. In less than a week I had struck it rich and knew that in all probability I would within a month draw out a fortune. Just at this time the letters from home ceased. For seven days I heard nothing, and half mad with anxiety and suspense, I awaited each night the incoming train to bring me tidings. One night, just as the train was about to leave, I caught sight of a former acquaintance from a neighboring village, bound for a camp yet farther west, and as I greeted him, he told me in few words and pitying tones of the death of my wife and child. For a moment Mr. Britton paused and Darrell drew instinctively nearer, though saying nothing. I have no distinct recollection of what followed. I was told afterwards that friendly hands caught me as the train started to save me from being crushed beneath the wheels. For three months I wandered from one mining camp to another, working mechanically with no thought or care as to success or failure. An old miner from the first camp who had taken a liking to me followed me in my wanderings and worked beside me, caring for me and guarding my savings as though he had been a father. The old fellow never left me, nor I him, until his death three years later. He taught me many valuable points in practical mining, and I think his rough but kindly care was all that saved me from insanity during those years. After his death, I brooded over my grief till I became nearly frenzied. I could not banish the thought that, but for my rashness and foolishness in taking her from her home, my wife might still have been living. To myself, I seemed little short of a murderer. I left the camp and wandered, night and day, afar into the mountains. I came to this mountain on which we are sitting and climbed nearly to the top. God was there, but, like Jacob of old, I knew it not. 
but something seemed to speak to me out of the infinite silence, calming my frenzied brain and soothing my troubled soul. I sat there till the stars appeared, and then I sank into a deep, peaceful sleep, the first in years. When I awoke, the sun was shining in my face, and though the old pain still throbbed, I had a sense of a new strength with which to bear it. I ate of the food I carried with me and drank from the mountain stream, the same that trickles past us now, only nearer its source. The place fascinated me. I dared not leave it, and I spent the day in wandering up and down the rocks. My steps were guided to the mine I showed you today. I saw the indications of richness there, and, overturning the earth with my pick, found gold among the very grass roots. Then followed the life of which I have already given you an outline. For a while I worked in pain and anguish, but gradually, in the solitude of the mountains, my spirit found peace. Against their infinity, my life with its burden dwindled to an atom, and from the lessons of their centuries of silent waiting, I gathered strength and fortitude to await my appointed time. But after a time, God spoke to me and bade me go forth from my solitude into the world to comfort other sorrowing souls as I had been comforted. From that time I have traveled almost constantly. I have no home. I wish none. I want to bring comfort and help to as many of earth's sorrowing, sinning children as possible. But when the old wound bleeds afresh and the pain becomes more than I can bear, I flee as a bird to my mountain for balm and healing. Do you wonder, my son, that the place is sacred to me? Do you understand my love for you in bringing you here? Darrell sat with bowed head, speechless, but one hand went out to Mr. Britton, which the latter clasped in both his own. When at last he raised his head and he exclaimed, Strange, but your story has wrung my soul. It seems in some inexplicable way a part of my very life. Our souls seem united by some mystic tie. I cannot explain what, unless it be that, in some respects, our sufferings have been similar. Mine have been as nothing to yours, Darrell replied. A moment later he added, I feel as one in a dream. What you have told me has taken such hold upon me. Night had fallen when they returned to the cabin. This seems hallowed ground to me now, Darrell remarked. It has always seemed so to me, Mr. Britton replied. But remember, so long as you have need of a place, it is always open to you. Until the daybreak and the shadows flee away, Darrell responded in low tones as though to himself. Mr. Britton caught his meaning. My son, he said, when the day breaks for you, do not forget those who still sit in darkness. End of chapter 26